from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast Halal mamle mein UP mein yogi sarkar ne bada faisla kiya hai UP government has banned the sale of halal certified products and this includes food products also drugs uh, and medicines with the halal tag the yogi government though interestingly has made an exemption for export those companies that don't pay up to legitimize their exploitative arbitrariness are blacklisted On Saturday the 18th of November the Uttar Pradesh government announced a ban on halal certification of products including dairy oils and savory snacks in the state The manufacture and storage of halal certified products is now permitted only for those products meant for export. Meat products linked to halal certification have been completely exempted from this ban. The government's move comes after a police case was filed against some groups for allegedly exploiting people's religious sentiments to boost sales by allegedly providing fake halal certificates. The decision has been opposed by Muslim groups involved in the certification of products and some have said they will challenge this decision in court. But what explains this opposition to halal products? Also why are some products classified as halal while others are not? To understand the idea of halal and kosher and the opposition to it, my colleague and I Jairaj Singh spoke with author and mythologist Devdutt Patnaik. Devdutt has been a critic in the past of bans on halal products in other countries and explains why he believes science shouldn't be used as an argument in favor of such bans. He also explains why such religious food codes like say halal or kosher exist. and how he views the sort of strict adherence to such food codes could you talk about the idea of halal and also we like to think that it's only associated with meat but how does it extend to other food items or other things that are classified as say halal in islam god created the world so allah has created the world and he has sent his messengers the pagambers with a message pagam to live life in a particular way and if you live your life as per the rules that he has put forth then it is halal so you are in alignment if you don't live according to the rules you break the rules then it is haram if you follow the rules and you are aligned with the rules you are in halal you will go to jannat that is heaven at the end of your life if you don't you will go to hell which is jahannam now that's the broad concept which emerges from the middle east 1400 years ago although for muslims these ideas pre-exist even 1400 years ago through different pagambars the last pagambar being muhammad now when we today talk about the word halal we are restricting it to food habits so food that is aligned and which is considered appropriate by allah they usually are talking about meat products and it is how the animal that is used for meat making is slaughtered it the blood has to be let out of the system so you cut the throat so the blood seeps out of the body rather than the traditional method of just chopping the head off which is done in most places on a chopping block you don't eat the blood products the blood can also be consumed there are a lot of dishes that are made using the blood it also involves what animal is used like for example carnivorous animals should not be consumed birds of prey should not be consumed there are these lists but broadly it comes to how the goat the sheep the camel the way they are slaughtered in the slaughterhouse and that's how the meat is prepared and that's basically the halal certification that it has been cut in this particular way so i'm just trying to understand so then when it extends to other products are we saying that they may have animal product derivatives which is why effectively that sort of carries forward into other products or is there any such rule that extends to 
other non-meat products? It basically means it has followed the rules of Islam. So it doesn't contain meat. If it contains meat, the animal has been slaughtered in this particular way. They are giving you this assurance that this is following the, the Sharia laws, the laws of God, and this is halal certified. That's all it means. See, in the old days, you prepared your own meat, right? You didn't think about all these things. But now we live in a very different world. We want to know where does the milk come from? Where does the meat come from? So in a modern industrial ecosystem, certification becomes the process by which I find out whether my food is pure veg. So you have the green stamp, which says pure veg, no egg products, gelatin has it been used. So people want to know. Nowadays, people seem to be very particular about these things. Dindar, could you talk about why some foods are classified kosher for, say, the Jewish community, Jain for the Jain community, and halal for followers of Islam? What was the idea behind this sort of certification? So most religious people will not like this answer. But food restrictions and taboos have nothing to do with religion or God or spirituality. It is completely a tribal marker. It is to tell me that I am not you. I'm different from you. Like tribal communities will have tattoos, they'll have clothes, they will eat in a particular way, they'll talk in a particular way. There are many ways in which we differentiate each other. For example, in India, amongst Brahmins in uh, South India, the way you eat food while eating food, the way you pray to the ancestors, the way you move your hand tells them that which community you belong to. So when you say I will not eat meat and dairy simultaneously, uh, meat will be separate, dairy will be separate, then you are saying, I'm, I want to follow kosher rules. If you say that you don't want to consume alcohol uh, because your religion forbids it, then that sort of identifies you. You're identified by the food. And that is the real reason for all this. I mean, if you talk to a Jewish man, he'll give you this complicated rationality about why kosher is important or there's some tribal logic of some tapeworms or some disease and the same thing you will hear among if you talk to Arabs they will tell you why halal is actually scientific and if you talk to the Jains they will tell you why this food habit is actually scientific so these scientific things you know if it's science it cannot be bound because you can play with scientific rules in different ways these are no, nothing rational or scientific I mean the only rationale is identity and we must never forget that. If anybody says, no, my religion forbids me, they forbids you because you want to be part of a tribe. It's okay to be part of a tribe and you're perfectly valid. But to make it sound as if it's some cosmic thing is not true. Like you said, there is a science element, but it's not a purity or something like that. What I'm trying to say is there is no science element. This is science element is pseudoscience, which is given by, you know, the Jewish people will give to kosher, the Muslims will give it to halal. And we are being respectful of your pseudoscience because we don't want to offend people. But right now we see that religious people are going completely berserk, just as scientific people also go completely berserk. The fact is every community has a right to eat whatever they want to eat and they use the way they eat to differentiate themselves from others. So it's really that. And it's the easiest religious marker in the world. You know, religion tells you to be a good person. Religion tells you to be honest person. But that's a headache, you know. It's easier to eat veg food than to be honest and to be decent. I mean, I remember this Instagram video of this young uh, Muslim preacher and he was telling his the congregation that haram ke paise se halal nahi khate hai. Like if you have done haram in your business, and you think by earning that money, you can eat food of halal and somehow that sort of balances it out. He says, that doesn't work. And I could imagine a Jewish preacher telling the same thing that by being non-kosher at work and using illegal money to eat kosher food doesn't make you a good G. But you see, to project yourself religiously, these are the easiest techniques to do it. They're so easy. 
दिस इज पोजिशनिंग आई एम वेज आई एम कांदा लसन भी नहीं खाता हूँ तो ये भी नहीं खाता हूँ मैं वो भी नहीं खाता हूँ एंड दर्ट ऑफ और हम आपके घर का वो पानी नहीं पी सकते हैं and all of them will keep saying there's a smell about it there's a smell you won't understand it it's a vegetarian thing uh, it's about a smell and these are various identity markers and that's across the world it's nothing unique to india you find it in japan you find it in china find different forms of food taboos being used by different tribes to say they are different which is fine identity is important but to say i also am better than you that's not fine the reason we doing this as well is the fact that uttar pradesh has banned halal food items on the grounds that the certificates are being misused it's being used to divide people but uh, i mean while everyone's pointing to that it's also happened in other european countries where such bans have been implemented in the name of science and rationality you've written against this in the past saying that science shouldn't be used as an element to ban these practices could you explain why See, you can weaponize science. You can weaponize religion. You can we- weaponize law. So these are te- techniques of weaponizing against one community. There is a community which is wanting a particular way of being, and uh, some people are finding it extremely annoying and finding it intrusive into their spaces. For example, European countries suddenly are finding themselves that they have to tolerate the azan. They have to tolerate people walking around with a burqa. They have to tolerate these food habits in different locations and special things, and kind of a privileging of this community, and that's annoying the majority and large number of people in Europe. They are not allowed to ex- express your annoyance openly because then you'll be called Islamophobic. and therefore what do you do you use science you start using law the fact is you are irritated and you are not able to come to the table on a dialogue and nobody is willing to compromise because everybody is saying i have the right to religion i have a right to this and it's become difficult to have a conversation and say you know what you are my neighbor we have to live together and we have to figure out a way in which we can live together and this is annoying me i'm not allowed to do that then nobody what is called civil behavior where i respect each other these things are not happening around the world in the name of i have a right to live the way i want to and that i think annoyance is manifesting in these kind of pseudo scientific pseudo religious pseudo legal statements that we are doing this for this reason and everybody knows why you are doing it everybody knows it's a trick but the fact is we have to ask ourselves why are people using tricks nobody is asking this question because if i go straight and tell you that i don't want this you won't allow me to do it and you're saying that it's my way or the highway and both parties are behaving in this very childish immature way you're positioning yourself and when you position there'll be a counter position and when there's a counter position there will be violence and these are different forms of violence that we're finding in different parts of the world and rather than getting alarmed and getting to the root cause everybody's trying to handle the symptom nidrit it's become so controversial these days to uh, you make these allegations these are beef eating people and 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 muslims have al- always been conscious about pork do our religions actually say that you shouldn't eat these meats and or do you feel that they've been derived because of various other aspects like pigs were considered filthy animals and and maybe then not sanitary and over time it's come sort of become part of the religion where have these concepts sort of emerged in our life in china pig is a sign of fertility pig is central to their rituals i mean the year of the pig is the year of prosperity is a symbol of prosperity the way in india we would uh, associate a cow with the symbol of prosperity the chinese use the pig as a symbol of prosperity so there's one culture which actually finds it as a symbol of prosperity in the arabic countries it has been noticed because they were nomadic people and pigs are not easy to move from city to city 
in India, for example, the kings of India would love to eat wild boar. We even have a god called Varaha. But it's the wild boar, not the domesticated boar. The domesticated boar is, is linked to the lowest caste in India. There is a very famous Marathi film called Fandry, which sort of depicts it very visually and graphically. And this is in opposition to the cow. So these animals are given these meanings. And yes, we keep finding these scientific, pseudo-scientific, rational. I remember somebody once telling me that the rangoli was done because it is rice flour to feed the ants outside the house. And I've heard this from educated Brahmin women from South India and men also. And then I keep asking, why are the patterns there? Because you can just dump it over there, no? just sprinkle it there and the ants will eat it. Why do you need to create those elaborate patterns? They have no answer to that. Then they'll, of course, call you Hindu-phobic because you've asked them a question which they can't answer. The seeking of rationality in religious practices is a 19th century phenomena that is actually irrational to it. But religious practices have no ration. Not only religious, any ritual has no... The idea that you salute... You know, you salute in an army. Now, that's not rational, right? This movement is not rational. We have given some meaning to this movement. We have given meanings to these things and said, oh, this is attention, this is respect, this is disrespect. Touching the feet in India is a very big thing. In America, it looks strange. I saw some cricketer also lounging towards uh, David Beckham's feet. Yeah, and he'll be wondering, he'll be tackling him, right? Because he won't understand what's going on. <laughs> so, this cultural language and this whole idea of tapeworm infection. Every food can kill you if it is not hygienic, if it's not clean, it's not cooked properly. Anything can kill you. People have this pseudoscience about cattle and cows in India. And these are not scientific at all. I mean, good, if you don't want to eat beef, don't eat beef. But then you start saying it's unclean, impure, it'll stop you from going to heaven. And I'm like, oh my God, you're such a nasty human being. And you really think being nasty. I mean, I'm famous for my tweets where I make fun of vegetarians saying that, oh, he beats up his wife, but he's vegetarian. So obviously he's a holy person. Or you have all these holy men talking such nonsense in their forums, but they'll say, hum to sattvic ahar khate hai. I'm like, oh my God, even after eating sattvic ahar, your vichar and your achar is nothing sattvic about it. So um, food is also a performance. There is no two words about it. It's, it makes you feel good to be this performative, great. But the question is, when you start positioning yourself as better or you start saying other people's performances are not correct, now that creates a problem. Halal certification is a kind of a global irritation with the Islamic world. And you're not allowed to criticize the Islamic world because any criticism of the Islamic world becomes Islamophobic. So what do you do? You come up with these unfortunate subversive ways of tackling the problem. And that's these kind of tactics are... Well, that's politics, I guess. This ban in India, the ban in Europe, all of that also comes from this belief that, that others shouldn't have to consume halal products. That somehow it is like a sort of why should we consume halal products? Is there anything that bars the consumption of halal or say kosher products by outside communities? Vikram Doctor, who writes on food a lot, had once brought my attention to this. He said this halal thing became very big during the First and Second World War when soldiers from India had to be taken to other parts of the world. And since there were Indian soldiers traveling, you had to carry food and you had to carry food. And suddenly the caste rules and the religious rules became amplified. Muslims would eat halal, but you see the Sikh soldiers, the Sikh soldiers would say, Hum halal nahi khate because they have a history of the Sikh gurus being not 
kindly treated by the Mughal emperors. Remember, food is a way of communication. So, aap halal khate ho, so when I say I will not eat halal, I'm expressing a political sentiment. I'm saying I'm not one of you. And therefore, this not eating halal amongst the Sikh communities of Punjab was a very big thing in the First World War. As a child, I grew up, my mother would tell me to buy chicken from the local gro- uh, butcher's shop and I would go to, uh, like a good boy, go and buy it. And I would always wonder why they would cut the throat of the chicken. My mother also didn't know why it was. She didn't understand it was halal. Now I know it is halal. I don't think my mother ever thought, I think the word even occurred in our house. We just ate. That's my childhood. I, never, I don't think I ever knew this word halal at that time. Or my mother, who were, they were all very caste conscious. I know my mother had caste issues. and We ate halal food. But we had caste rules. So you see, this is how India functions. It's kindness on one side, but there's also hierarchy and stratification on the other. Where you sit, where you eat, you have to be treated with respect, but you should know your place. But at the same time, there was no halal haram thing. So I'm talking about personal experience. And, you know, the particular is also universal. I know Muslim friends who are very comfortable eating pork, but they'll say, oh God, I can't tell my family. They'll they'll lose their temper. So I know Hindus who eat beef. In Kerala, beef eating is fairly common. Buff eating is common. Northeast India, it is common. Even amongst Hindu communities, the internet uh, Hindus who are clueless that many Brahmins eat non-vegetarian food in Bengal, in Maharashtra. These things are not so... There is no like you shall not. And also Hinduism is not a prescriptive religion. This whole rule that's come about, for uh, which the UP government has done, where do you think it stems from? The official answer would be it stems from concern for and criminal activity. And the um, unofficial answer is open to interpretation. I don't think anybody's stupid about it. But you can't say it, right? Because if you say it, we'll get into trouble. So don't say it. And that's how it is going to be functioned. We're going to pretend that it's rational and scientific and it's for the good of the community. The poorest of the poor are always going to take the brunt of upper class, upper caste politics. I guess that's, you know, the Matsya Nyaya, the big fish shall eat the small fish. And it doesn't matter whether the small fish is halal or haram. If it's small fish, it'll be consumed. Today's episode was produced by Jairad Singh and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at toipodcast at timesinternet.in.